I would like to see a real old west town. Oh yeah, yeah. like Tombstone back in the day. Yeah, maybe something that's not quite as dangerous as Tombstone. <laughs> You're listening to the Story Geeks podcast, produced by the Reclamation Society. Welcome to the Story Geeks Podcast. I'm Jay. I'm Josh. And I'm Daryl. And today we are digging deeper into one of the all-time classics. We're going to dig deeper into Back to the Future. Which I think we're all really excited about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we're all really excited about it. But I want to introduce, before we even go there, I want to introduce uh, our guest today, in-studio guest, which is always super fun. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Taylor from Network 1901, Modern Mouth Radio. Yeah. You, you, you like, almost have too many things you're doing. I, I do have too many things I'm doing. I like I I feel it on a daily basis. Like my body's sore. Uh, I'm ready to give up. No, uh, yeah, I've got a lot going on, but I'm excited. Typically, I don't talk about anything that's not Disney related or Disney owned. So it's cool that I get to talk about something that's not anywhere near Disney. Yeah. So tell us about Network 1901 and tell us about the the podcast you do and also the videos you do on YouTube. Yeah. So uh, Network 1901 is a collaborative group of people. Uh, I've hosted Modern Mouse Radio for five years, but as a whole group, we've been around for about a year and a half. Um, We do three podcasts a week. Modern Mouse Radio is always part of that lineup. And then uh, we do three videos a week on YouTube, which I tend to be the history buff uh, and the Disneyland guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I started listening to you guys. I mean, how long have you been doing this? Before network, before network, before network into one, I've been doing Modern Mouse for five years. Okay, so five years. I think I started listening like maybe like a couple of years ago. So okay, before network nineteen oh one, I believe. Because I think I started listening to the Dcast first. That would make sense. True. Yeah. So I yeah. started listening to the Dcast, and then I was like, "Oh, wait a second. There's this Modern Mouse radio show." And my first comment was, "This dude." sounds like Ira Glass doing a Disney podcast. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. No, I was oh, super cool. stoked about it. I was like, this is uh, this is like it's such a good storytelling methodology that he's using um, that I was really stoked on it. So I started listening to uh, Modern Mouse. And then when you guys did, um, you guys did The World That Never Was. Yes. I listened to all of those as yeah. well, which is fascinating. So if you like Disney basically at all, if you're into Disney, then you should be involved in Network 1901. Yeah, I mean, we do tons of stuff and we always get around to different discussions like uh the world that never was was a whole discussion about uh things that disney never built for its theme park division and why right now we're doing uh a show called the disney decade which is all about the 1990s and uh disney and the highs and lows of that era we've done uh the Star Wars, a whole show on Star Wars. We do shows on all kinds of books. It's all over the place, so it's worth checking out if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I listen to it all the time. Um, highly recommend it. Also, the the cool thing, the, and this is kind of the funny thing, I st- I was listening long before you guys lived in Southern California. Like, so I was listening when <laughs> okay. you were in Colorado, right? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and so Josh and Angie, Angie's Josh's wife. They move out to Southern California, and they're like, and I've been listening to the process of you guys moving. And I'm yeah. Like, Wait, you guys move? You guys moved to like ten minutes from me, or whatever it is, fifteen minutes from me. Yeah. <laughs> so I just messaged Josh one day, and I'm like, Hey, dude, like, 
we should hang out. So yeah, we've hung great. out several times since then. It's true. But this is the this is the podcasting world. You get into the podcasting world, you can find a whole bunch of new friends. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot in Southern California. Yep. So it's great. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Also, I will say one more thing about Network 1901 and Josh and Angie specifically. Well, two more things, actually. They also were super into all of the haunted house stuff that came out in oh, yeah. October. So follow them for events because they're doing more and more events. Um, so if you're interested in like Southern California events, then you'll be interested in hearing them talk about that. Uh, the other thing is I'm wearing a hat that they have produced. Um, it's an awesome, awesome mix. Awesome hat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and actually, Josh, you're wearing one. You're wearing one of your, your butter, butter beer, beer hats, which yeah. is awesome. So if you're on YouTube, you can actually see them. So go check it out. Uh, they also have they also do custom ears, like custom mouse ears, which are, mm. by the way, I can safely say this because I'm a Disney uh, person also. I go to parks all the time. Yeah. I would say that your guys' ears are not only better than the Disney ears, they're okay. better than any other knockoff ears that I've ever seen. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I will take full credit, but it's actually my wife that's more the artistic person there. Um, yeah, we've just continued to kind of grow and adapt and be able to add new things into that lineup. So um, like our, our company, modernmouseboutique.com, we just continue to add uh, and try and make them better consistently. We've been doing that for about three years. And I could tell you like, Every now and then, you know how like on Facebook it like gives you a little picture. Like, remember when you posted this two years oh, ago? Yeah. <laughs> All the time, it's like I posted like our products two years ago, and it's like, Ugh, okay, glad that we moved on from that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love those memories because you're like, ah, man, like that. I thought that was funny at the time, <laughs> but that was not a good joke. At right? All. Yeah. All the time that happens to me. Um, well, let's dive into this uh, this podcast today. We are talking about Back to the Future. Uh, and so the first question I have on here, which is like kind of a good question to kick us off, is where does this show up on your top 10 science fiction films of all time, Josh? Science fiction films. Yeah. Uh, because in general, all film, this usually shows up uh, in my top five, definitely top three. Nice. Uh, I would say sci-fi. This might be number one for me. Wow. So we yeah. have a huge fan. In I mean, Josh. this uh, for me, like if you were to show me Star Wars, any Star Wars film or Back to the Future, I would probably choose Back to the Future. Get out. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. I mean, so what about you, Daryl? Where does this show up in your top science fiction? Films? Well, I went back and looked at. So we did an episode on our top 10 sci fi films a while back. Yeah. So I went back and looked at my notes, <clears throat> and I had it at number eight. You had a number eight? Number I had a number eight. four. So it cracked my top five. Um, which, for me to be, for me to say that about science fiction films, for a science fiction film fan, like, you have to, I mean, like... Right. You're saying it's better than Star Wars. Well, Star Wars, like, I think Empire Strikes Back is, was, I know it was, my top <laughs> sci-fi film, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah, so to say that this is in the top five, Along with that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, oh my gosh. So we all, uh, we all are big fans of this film, obviously. Right, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to start with you on this one, Daryl. Uh, the construction of this film, um, and I reflect on this. I reflect on all films as a writer a lot of times, right? So I am okay. I'm coming at this from a certain perspective. But the construction of this film, which, which is written by Robert Zemeckis, who also directed it, and also Bob Gale, which I'm, I'm not really familiar with, which is probably bad of me. I should probably know him. Um, <laughs> but the construction of this film is extraordinary. 
What about this film is so satisfying and what elements make it so satisfying to you personally? You started with me? Yeah, started with you. Well, I'll pro- I guess I'll be the first one to say the phrase that well, I'll probably say at some point. A lot of people consider this movie to be a perfect movie, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which I can't really argue with. It's got, it's got a little bit of everything. I mean, it's sci-fi, but you've also got a ton of adventure. You've got suspense. You've got comedy. You've got major heartwarming moments. It's got a wonderful happy ending where everything turns out great for everybody, but it's not cheesy. I think I said the same thing about Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Apparently I appreciate that in a movie. Um, And just really likable characters. I mean, it's just good. It just does everything well. It just does everything well. What about you, Josh? I think this is, this is, I think why I determine it at number one. I think that sci-fi works best when you're using the science and technology to really drive a story and not focusing so much on that science and technology, right? The movie is not about the DeLorean. The movie is about how to get to the story, use the DeLorean. And I think the story is so fantastic. um, You cannot explore the story in any other way. Mm. And I think that that's, it makes it so unique and it makes you such a film that cannot be repeated. Uh, like no one's ever seen a film like this since yeah. or before. And I think that's what makes it so interesting. And so, um, so timeless it is that like, there will never be a movie like the first back to the future movie ever again, unless you remake the whole thing. Yeah. Right. Right. But that'd be even worse. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know what a DeLorean was before you saw the movie? Uh, I did not know. I didn't either. But it's fantastic, and I need like three of them. Now. I know. <laughs> and they, yeah. well, I've heard it's actually kind of a terrible car. I don't know, but I've heard that same thing. Yeah. But yeah. um, I didn't know what it was. I and they talk about it in the movie, like you built a time machine out of a DeLorean, and I'm like, am I supposed to know what a DeLorean is? <laughs> you know, I'm like a nine year old kid. I don't know what that right. is. Yeah. But so now because of that, every time I see a DeLorean in real life, which is not very often, but. I think I'm in Back to the Future. You're like, stoked about it. It just doesn't, yeah. I don't even register that they really exist. Like, oh, where's this from? Yeah. I it's like seeing the Batmobile. Yeah. I was like, when I was a kid, I kind of equated a DeLorean to a Lamborghini. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, like it was top, top <laughs> yeah, tier. Yeah. Right? It must be awesome. Right? Like, right. It's, it's look, more it's, like a Pinto. It's stainless steel. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, right. What is that about? And then you learn as you, as an adult, like, that probably gets about five miles to the gallon. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, right. It's awful. Which, by the way, a Lamborghini probably does too. Um, so for me, one of the uh, elements that I would add as a from a storytelling aspect is that in this film, our brains are wired. Okay, so Lisa, I always mention this book on this podcast, but Lisa Kron's Wired for Story is all about why our brains are wired in such a way that they love stories. And one of those reasons why is because the brain is always looking for a cause and effect. And it's always looking for a why is that happening? Right. And I was astounded when I watched this film again at all of the connectedness and the foreshadowed elements. Yeah. Like you're watching it and once you've seen it multiple times, you're like, Oh, that's because it's gonna that's gonna happen over there and I see why that's happening now and then so and it just connects all the way through so your brain is extremely satisfied 
because all the way along it's foreshadowing elements and telling you this is why this happened and here's why this other thing is going right. to happen yeah. which is awesome there's also very few um coincidences in the movie now there are some but we always get a reason for why it's going to happen so that when the coincidence occurs, it's not as like we know he's going to go back to the same location, which means that he's probably going to encounter his parents who lived in that same location. Right. So it's not like when his parents show up in the film, it's not a coincidence. It's like, oh, no, that makes sense because they lived there. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and everything has been so well foreshadowed that when you replace one one uh, incident with another incident, it doesn't. It doesn't suddenly feel false to us. It doesn't suspend our disbelief. Like so, when Marty pushes George out of the way um, and then becomes the victim that Lorraine then falls in love with, basically, right. it, we know that that's kind of a thing because we heard earlier on that Lorraine. That's why Lorraine fell in love with her with her husband because of that incident. So now, when we replace that, we know why that happened. We know that that's part of her character, and that's part of what her character cares about is caring for. A, what do they call it? Like a like a hurt rabbit or something like that. A hurt puppy or something hurt, like yeah, that. Some, some yeah, some some animal that they reference. So there are some coincidences, but those coincidences were often used as a means by which to heighten the tension in a very. Because the other thing you can get away with, and you kind of mentioned this, Josh, is those like comedic moments where it's just good storytelling, where you you're like, oh, the the coincidence is okay because of what occurred in the story. So I'll give you an example, um, and this is some of the only coincidences that I could come up with. Where where at the end when uh, Doc is trying to connect the wire to the clock tower yeah. to make sure that they get the power to the DeLorean. Um, the tree branch falls. Yeah. Like there's several coincidences that happen in that sequence of events. But as an audience member, we go, well, I mean, it is a storm. So that could theoretically happen. Plus it's just constantly heightening the tension. And the doc's response to it is so funny. Right. right. He's like, ah, you know, he's like the crazy face. All that stuff I think is just really artfully done so that the coincidence is not something that we are put off by, if you will. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, so. I think something, too, that makes this story really great, and it's something that is almost like a pet peeve for me now with with films, um, is that movie trailers tend to give away so much of a film. And if you go back and you watch like the teaser uh, and the trailer to this film, they really didn't give away a whole lot. And so first-time audiences for this film, I, I know that probably nobody in this room saw it like, in theater and right. we're like oh yeah this trailer <laughs> was great did you yeah you, did you, see, in theater? Did you see it yeah. with the trailer and you knew did you know going in i don't know that i saw the trailer i was okay. nine but i did see it in the theater because i think that this movie is so good at hiding what it's really about for the first 30 minutes uh, and i think that that's something that we 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 just don't get anymore right. we don't get like that moments of like what's this movie about let's just go for the ride that it's kind of nice to have a movie where you just sit back and like watch. And then as soon as that moment comes, like where he's sitting across the bar from his dad, you're like, Oh, <laughs> okay. This is where we're ending up at. Cool. Like we just don't get that in cinema anymore. Yeah, we do. Well, that's for sure. It's just too much of a marketing machine. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I actually don't know when I first saw this film. Cause I would have been four years old when it came out and I'm positive. I didn't see it at the theater. But 
Do you remember when you first saw it? Because you you would have been like, wait, were you born? <laughs> I, I was born, <laughs> but I saw this film actually much later. Uh, I saw bits and pieces. Uh, I actually saw episode two or Back to the Future Part Two uh, before Part One. Okay. I was like a little kid, but like you know, you only see like the hoverboard and everything. You're like, oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, but I I actually sat down to watch parts one, two, and three. Uh, I think when I was 16, I actually like was like I'm gonna sit down and actually like watch this. Nice. The same with I had not seen um, the original Star Wars trilogy until I was 16. I bought like all the box sets, oh, nice. all at one time. Like <laughs> I got like a Best Buy gift card for Christmas and was like, all right, box sets. Uh, and so I actually sat down and really watched it That's much like the best later in life. your life right there. It was fantastic. <laughs> like that January was killer yeah. movie night for me. <laughs> exactly. It's the best of all time. I know I saw it in the theater, but I mostly remember when I was a kid, my family would take a family trip to Colorado mm. every summer and we would go in a motorhome. Okay. And so to pass the time, my brother and I would sit in the back of the motorhome uh. in the bedroom area and there was a TV and so every single drive out to Colorado, we would watch the entire Star Wars trilogy, the entire Back to the Future trilogy, the entire Indiana Jones trilogy, then trilogy. It's not that long of a drive, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's from Colorado. We, yeah. would go, we would go in a couple days. Like, we'd take it slow. Um, and, then, and then in between, we'd be playing, like, Super Mario Brothers and Kung Fu on Nintendo and stuff like that. But. This has just now become the 80s rules. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's a cool time. <laughs> it was. It was a good time. Okay, so in the beginning of uh, this film, we're introduced to Marty, and then we're quickly introduced to his family. And I just I want to ask you guys, and I'll start with you, Josh. What do you think about Marty, and then also what do you think about his family? Do you like them? I do like this family, uh, this whole family. It's, it's a family dynamic that seems – uh, approachable as mm-hmm. far as like this could be your family but it also kind of feels really 80s right yeah. like there's a lot of materialism going on here uh, Marty's extremely concerned with like having a new car and that's it's maybe the only downfall of the film but like the big hurrah for him is that he ends up with a new car at the end of the film and it's like <laughs> that's not what this movie was about at all but uh, I think that the dynamic of the family is so cool because like every every kid looks at their own family like god if i just had a different family you know like if i just had somebody else's family it'd be so much cooler uh and you know i think that leads to the dynamic later in the movie of like him learning like oh i guess my parents were kind of cool like i guess that they just needed you know this push or whatever Mm. um and i i think that it leads into, uh, you know, the eventual question that Daryl's going to ask about why Doc and Marty are friends as well. Yes. Because I think the family dynamic lends him to want to hang out with Doc more than his own family. Yeah. Ooh, this is going to be a good answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. I can already see. What about you, Daryl? What do you think? I, for me, I have a little different take on it. So at the beginning, mm-hmm. it totally does feel like a typical, like, 80s family. It totally has that vibe. But I think at the beginning, I kind of don't like them. I like Marty, mm-hmm. but I don't like the rest of them. Okay. And I almost feel like that's kind of what Zemeckis was going for. Because to me, at the beginning of the movie, Marty is really the only character mm-hmm. that has any depth to him. Everybody else is sort of 
a caricature. Mm. You know what I mean? And then over the course of the movie, as they're exposed to Marty Moore, people grow and people change and they develop. And so I like his family more and more as it goes through. You know what I mean? But don't you see it from his... Like, you're really seeing his family from his eyes yeah, early on. Right. You look at them and you go like, I don't want to hang out with you people. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know? <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're just not that cool. There's yeah. a guy down the street with a sweet amp. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I, I, I kind of am and right in between you guys. I'm kind of right in between you guys. Because when I... And I think that this is part of... If you, if you screw this part of the film up, um, I feel like you have to feel the way that you feel and the way that you feel. Because I was thinking the same thing like in terms of we're viewing them through Marty's eyes, right? right. We're, we're seeing them as a teenager sees parents. Right. Um, but at the same time, we can't like them too much or have too much sympathy for them because then we won't want them to change. And then we're like, what's the deal? Like, Why is this family going through any change? So when you see the family, I think part of it for me is I, I see the family and I go, they're pretty dysfunctional. They've got some clear issues going on when it comes to Biff. Like that's clear right off the oh, bat. Oh yeah, right? totally. And and then there's something about them that's like, I like them, and they seem like parents that I would see in an '80s film. But there's this underlying thing where I think they do care about Marty. They do care about their other Marty siblings. Um, they do care about one another. But there's something preventing them from thriving, and so that and and I think that it, and Marty's the one that's kind of learned to trying to figure out how do I thrive, and and like you say, he's going off he's going off to Doc's house, he's hanging out right. with Doc, but he's also got this reputation at school, like you know you're a McFly, you don't amount to anything yep. because that's just been the family legacy, and yeah. I think that he doesn't even understand why he's being prevented from succeeding <clears throat> so much. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. And, and I think if you view the film as we're kind of viewing it through Marty's eyes, he is super cool. I mean, if you if you watch this film and you're an 80s kid and you don't want to be Marty, I'm like, oh, yeah. what's wrong with you? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's the he best. He played guitar. He got the girl. <laughs> yeah. Michael yeah. J. Fox was just the coolest <laughs> yeah. for a long time. Yep, absolutely. In every movie. Yeah, and he was never – he's never – even when he does things that are maybe like things that we would consider like delinquent or like if he seems like he's maybe a little bit mean to somebody else or judgmental, he also does something else later that shows that like he also thinks that that was wrong. You know what I mean? Right. Like he has a very balanced perspective on the world. Right. He's not so, the bully at school. Exactly. And he's not, you know, the best student at school. He's exactly. somewhere in the middle. Yeah, exactly. He's the every kid. Yeah. And, and I and again I would I would just want to point out that like as you watch if you watch the film again and you watch that family, just I think you can pick up on exactly what we've talked about, which is they're a family we recognize, but there's just something there. You're like I like them, they're really dysfunctional. I want the best for them, and I don't know that they're experiencing the best right now. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole premise of the movie is yeah. to say like, well, what do we do with that, right? Um, to a certain extent. I think the whole premise of the movie is really Marty living into who he's supposed to be, right? Like, how do you dictate who that is? But that's enough of that. Um, Daryl, I'll start with you on this one. Um, I want to talk about the film's gimmick. So time travel. Uh, what do you think our fascination with time travel is all about? And why do we keep exploring this concept? And I always ask too many questions. 
in a row. Um, <laughs> and what can we learn from our desire to travel through time? Because it's so popular, especially yeah. with J.J. Abrams these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think we all wish we could go back and change something, you know, mm-hmm. maybe go back and save a loved one or avoid making a stupid decision or avoid buying that Green Lantern movie ticket or something, you know. And <clears throat> so there's that aspect of it where you just kind of you dream about sort of course correcting your life, mm-hmm. right? Making little tweaks. But then if you stop and really think about it, you're like, well, everything you've been through makes you who you are. So maybe you don't really want to do that. But the future is this whole other thing, like just going forward and seeing what is the world like beyond my own lifespan or beyond what I can expect, you know, like what are we going to invent? What are we going to advance to? What's what's life going to be like? When are we going to get a better Green Lantern? When movie? are we going to get a better Green Lantern <laughs> movie? Just just that whole idea to go explore that is awesome. So, I mean, there's just so much fascination wrapped up in it. Yeah. And it's so personal. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like my fascination is different from yours, it's different from Josh's and it's just, it's universal to anybody. Hmm. And I think it makes for fun storytelling because it kind of lets you break all the rules, you know? Yep. All the, you can kind of do whatever you want. You can, I mean, you can, I'm not talking very well. <laughs> you can, <laughs> you can recast people. You can completely change everything and go off in a new direction. Right. Um, J.J. Abrams, Star Trek, you know. Yep, exactly. So Reset, it's just fun. Reboot a whole series. But it also makes for potentially extremely confusing storytelling. That it does. Which this movie manages to avoid. Yeah. I do have a question about that later, too. So we'll get into that part, that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, so what do you think, Josh? What, what about time travel is, is something that human beings are so fascinated with? I think that we're actually fascinated more about... Because if you were to ask somebody if they want to, you know, they travel in time, do they want to travel in the future or in the past? Yeah. I think it tends to be people wanting to travel to the future Hmm. and outside of being like, I would love to see, you know, uh, the hate off Hitler, like, you know, going down or I'd love to see, you know, like all these cool historical things. I think people want to know who they will be. Uh, I think that, uh, it's why, it's why certain people go to fortune tellers, you know, like there's an intrigue in who we will become. Yeah. And, uh, for this, what's interesting in this, about this film is that instead of going to the future, although they eventually do in the second one, they go to the past to see who we came from. Right. Um, which is a question not many people ask. Not, uh, nobody, I didn't grow up thinking this. I don't know if you guys grew up thinking this, but you, you know, looked at your parents and went, were they cool in high school? Mm. You know, like (laughs) nobody's really asking that question. (laughs) Everybody just assumed that their parents were, you know, geeks and that they were the cool one. And then it comes to, you know, look at it and go like, maybe I should ask my mom who she dated in high school and (laughs) what happened, you know? (laughs) So I, I think that time travel though, in general, is just a really cool, it's a cool storytelling element, but like I said before, I think it's a storytelling element only to serve the real story, mm. not necessarily to be, you know, the time machine or something like that. I think it works the most successful times in which it's worked. It's only a vehicle to get to the real story. Yeah, and that's that's what kind of why I even call it a gimmick. But I think 
some of our fascination with it, I totally agree with what you guys are talking about. It's interesting because I am one of the people that would probably travel to the fa- to the past before traveling to the future, and I don't know why. For I, yourself? For me, yeah. For me, I would probably do that. We have a, we have a question coming up about what, what would you do? <laughs> what would you do if you're going to time travel? The I think that time travel when we talk about so I think your your point about the future is really a valid one. Like we want to see what we become. I also think that there's a component of it for me where I think humanity also is looking for a reason of why things are the way that they are. Because we're constantly, we all can dream of a better world. Right. And we're always validating choices that we're making. Exactly. And since we can dream of a better world, I think part of us, part of us wonders, why isn't it just that way? Like what's preventing it from being that way? And And I think the past can inform us of some of those reasons or at least we can look for reasons like that in the past right um but it'd be so much simpler if we built a time machine and just went into the future and went we did it we, we made utopia right right exactly which would be interesting to see if that's even a possibility right yeah right um because we our science fiction generally revolves around either like this film why are things the way that they are? Why are my parents such geeks? Like, why is Biff pushing my father around? Um, what should I do with my life based on my what's come before me? Right. Um, but then also there's there's this question of, and we see this a lot in science fiction, what's coming next? Is it dystopia or is it utopia? And why? And a lot of times, I mean, in films, because we want to see conflict and because we want to learn more about our current world, we don't see a lot of utopias because, by, by the way, that'd be super boring. <laughs> Everything's perfect and then there's no conflict. Okay, right. great. Um, well, then you have Star Trek and you just have to go find conflict on other planets. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I do think that there's a component to it about that. And I think that the other part of it that um, is I think that you're onto something with we all want to reverse the past mistakes that we've made i think about this a lot like i think like well one of my favorite one of my favorite um songs is the johnny cash version of um hurt Hurt. yeah uh which is a trent reznor song right um and i think if you if you give it to johnny cash at the end of his life and ask him to sing it it just gives the whole song a power that the trent reznor version um doesn't quite have it doesn't have that gravitas you know we don't have a whole life behind it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and that whole song is about regret over choices made in life and the the if i could go back and do it all over again i would do whatever i could to prevent myself from hurting both myself and the people around me and i think that there's something in the human condition that because we make mistakes or because we make bad choices, at least I'll put it on me, because I do those things, I'm constantly feeling like, oh yeah, I really wish I had that shot over again. Like, right. I really wish I could have gone back and like, that was dumb. I mean, even even when I listen to this podcast, I'm like, what in the world were you saying, dude? Like, <laughs> why did the words come out of your mouth in that order? Because <laughs> that made no sense. So I think there's just a, this sense that like, oh, I could do it better. Um, and I think the real truth is, you know, we can get better in life and we can get worse in life, but I don't know that we're ever going to be perfect. So we're just going to have to, to a certain extent, live with that. But at the same time, the desire to be that, I think, is is inherent in a lot of people. So um, 
Let uh, let's go ahead and move. Oh, by the way, I did. We didn't even talk about this, but the other the other component I can see some people saying is that we're just wanting to seek knowledge. True. So yeah. I want to see what the universe, how the universe started. I need to see who wins the World Series. <laughs> You exactly, know, for the exactly. last 50 years. <laughs> exactly, yeah. For Whoa. no reason, what? No profitable no game. No, yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be whatever it is. You know, I think, I know we're talking about the first Back to the Future here, but yeah, I think just being in the stage of life that we're at is part of what makes this whole trilogy so much fun. Because hmm. in the second one, they go to 2015. And so right. we actually got to like see that movie when we were young. Yeah. See it in, I think it was 89 when it came out. Hope and then that, that was our future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now we actually are, we've gone past 2015 and we can see, okay, well, we don't have hoverboards. No. There aren't 19 Jaws movies. There were not flying cars. And we don't have, well, I guess somebody did finally put out the self-tying laces. Yes. They did. And the, and yeah, the self-drying jacket or yes. something yes. like that. Yeah. Luckily, we don't all dress like that. We don't have robots serving us Pepsis. No. Well, I guess in a way we kind of do. I will say I will say they remarkably did get a lot of things correct. Yeah, right. You know the holograms. Yep. Uh, or the three D, you know, reboot of that coming back uh, as a gimmick. A lot of things did kind of come through that. That's uh, true. The fact that we're so nostalgic now for the eighties. Uh huh. I would go to cafe eighties oh. right now oh, if you yeah. were to say after this podcast we're gonna go get a new Coke. <laughs> Down at Cafe 80s. <laughs> yeah. Dude, we'd be Sweet. all Sweet. <laughs> exactly. That's what we'll do. We should start We should start Cafe 80s. That's what we should do. Yeah. And the Cubs, right? Didn't they? Didn't the Cubs, Cubs win won? the World they Series? Won. Cubs won, won the World, World Series. Series. Yeah, Did true. that happen in 2015 or was it last year? I think it was last year. Okay, so it was close. But, I mean, like, it was – I mean, they were getting to be a better team more than they'd ever been. Yeah. So, yeah. that that's crazy. Like, sports – you can predict and like me, you know, make like the shoelaces because like, oh, okay, I saw this movie. I want to now, now I've got 30 years to figure that out. But as far as the sports team being really good right in that moment yeah. with those players, like that's, they called that. That was <laughs> it, awesome. It totally it's, did. it's actual affecting of the time space continuum. Like Michael J. Fox changed the yeah, future. Be, yeah. Because yeah. of his movie. He yeah. really did. But it is, so it is true. funny because I, I know I've seen interviews with Zemeckis who said that, when they did the second Back to the Future movie, they hated the idea of going to the future because every movie, the only future that we'll accept is the Mad Max dystopian future. Uh, we we never accept a utopian future or, yeah. or like a future that we could live in. So they just threw a bunch of ideas at the wall and just were like, yeah, fine, that's the future. <laughs> yeah, right. And like, it's the closest future of any of the like futures we've been shown in film. That's awesome. And we may not have 19 Jaws films, but we do have five Sharknados. We do. I feel like that's, and that's kind pretty of close. close. Yeah. 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 And what, there are like four or five Jaws films. Yeah. They did continue to make them past Back to the Future. That's true. They were inspired by it. They probably so. Yeah, probably so. Okay. Uh, to be clear, this time travel is definitely meant to be fun. We already talked about that, right? It's just meant to be a gimmick. It's supposed to be fun. Um, and it totally works, in my opinion. But because we're story geeks, we're still going to ask this question. Time travel as a gimmick is super difficult to pull off without massive continuity issues. So my question to you, um, and I'll start with you, Josh, on this one, is do you see any continuity issues in Back to the Future? I do not. And it... Here's why I think Zemeckis uh, and Dale put down a really good format that I don't know. I, I 
I have not seen anything like it before it, um, that they stuck to, which was that you travel through time, not through space. Or, right, like, uh, what we've seen before, like, if you watch, like, Bill and Ted, they can travel to wherever, whenever. Uh, but for this group of individuals traveling in a DeLorean, they can only travel, like, when you're on driving on that road, you end up on that road in a different time period. That's and a really I think, good point. I never I, noticed that before. I think that that is quintessential to what this movie does well in time travel. It's, it makes it way less confusing. Uh, somebody who does not like science fiction can get into this movie because they can understand the extremely basic rule of time, not space, and that they're still in Hill Valley. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that matters more than anything to what that gimmick, you know, its purpose is. Yeah, that's true. And it's the perfect approach because it's not <clears throat> it's not for the sake of time travel. No. It's for the sake of showing different versions of people and showing how they change over time and stuff like that. And it's so fun to see the same place develop over time. Yeah. Too. It, like the city the of Hill Valley uh, and the town square there becomes its own character within the film. Absolutely. Because you get to see it, you know, and it's two different versions in the first film and then, you know, several different versions throughout uh and it becomes a character and i think that that's what the time travel idea does so well is it can show us uh like we said like how things change over time and how things could be or how things you know were and um yeah i I think that it sets up how time travel works so perfectly and it makes so much more sense and it it gets rid of the continuity problems Mm -hmm. that it could have yeah Absolutely. Did you have anything to add? Yeah. Well, and the, for me personally, it's fun to see all this, the, the Hill Valley stuff in the movie too because I've now seen most of it in real life. Like I've been to the studio and seen the lot that yeah. they shot that on. But um, the Twin Pines Mall is the Whitwood Mall yeah. in Whittier. <laughs> and Hill Valley High School is Whittier High School that my mom went to and everything. So, Isn't the, isn't the mall Pony Hills Mall? No, it's uh, Whitwood Mall. Are you sure about that? I'm almost positive it's Pony Hills. Because I grew up next to Pony Hills, and I used to go to that mall all the time. We'll look it I up. I guess I'm not 100% positive. We'll look it up and put it. Because the, the school you're right later. about. The school you're 100% right about. I'm pretty confident. Because that Pony Hills Mall, I used to go to all the time as a kid. And then it became super gang infested in the <laughs> mid-90s. Like, they had stabbings and stuff at the mall. So we can blame that on So it was the alternate feature. Marty, too. <laughs> Is the Sports Almanac? Yeah. <laughs> it was the Sports, sports Almanac feature. That's the one where the Libyans won. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, um, but I, I don't see any – I agree with Josh. I don't think there's any real inconsistencies. There's one tiny little nitpicky thing that I always noticed. Okay. That's not an inconsistency, but – so his the photograph of him and his brother and his sister. Yeah. I don't know why, but in my head, it feels like if time is being changed, uh-huh. thus affecting that photograph, it feels to me like Marty should be the first one to fade away and not the last one because he was yeah, born the, the latest. Uh... Which doesn't make sense from a storytelling perspective, obviously. Yeah. And it's not a real problem. It doesn't matter at all. But that's just something I've always thought <laughs> about. Well, well all my, all, I have three. They're all nitpicky. Um, and by the way, I've written a time, a time travel story before. And it is impossible. <laughs> because you have to create so many rules that it's 
far better just to be fun. And I, and I think personally that the alternate timeline option is a total cop out because it's, it's the easiest option. It's like, oh, we'll just create a new timeline and then we can do whatever we want in that timeline. Um, so I, I actually, before I start to pick on this movie a little bit, I would say <laughs> it's really fantastic the way that, because my one, only one of mine is what I would call valid. The other two are, how would that work exactly? They could work, but it's a little bit weird. So well, the, we'll tell you if your one is valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can tell me if the one is valid. So um, I'll start from the, the least uh, interesting ones. But I think that there's an indication here. There's at least a question we have to ask ourselves of did Doc, was Doc inspired by, here's where time travel gets, gets really dicey, right? <laughs> a, a time machine is built at some time. Right. It, if Marty is in 1985 and sees the DeLorean for the first time, that means Doc built it in 1985. But if Doc sees the time machine in 1955, how does that change the future effect of the time machine? Like, was he inspired to build the time machine because he saw the time machine in 1955? Yeah, they if say so, that in the film. They say that because, like, he you know, bonks his head or whatever. And that's how he came up with the flux capacitor. Right. Yes. So, uh, but then he goes, he actually sees the actual working unit right in the movie. And then the only way that he can get it to work is lightning. Right. Striking the clock tower. But he then works out the next 30 years to actually building the thing that he once saw himself do. Right, so that's the continu- that that would be the continuity issue. So he he couldn't build it originally right. without having first seen it. If he only sees it after he builds it, then there's a <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's the circular reasoning. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 in this film, I don't mind it at all. So I'm being really nitpicky and I'm like I'm not trying to ruin the film for anybody. I'm just exploring the You're just caught in a concept. constant loop. Exactly. Time. You're caught in a constant loop because the the most egregious use of it ever of the constant loop problem is in Interstellar. Yeah. Careful. I know you love Interstellar, but, but the only reason I the, only, uh, the reason I have such a hard time with that film is because the film cannot occur if the film doesn't occur. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. So that's a whole other pod, whole other podcast, but that's that's a that's a troublesome one. Well, this the is thing, just the a, thing about your theory is that there is there are two timelines. Yeah. There's the timeline in which the car doesn't exist, right? So right. he just falls, bonks his head thinks about the flux capacitor. The second timeline then becomes he sees the car yep. and then f- therefore is in just this constant loop of of time travel back and forth. Right. Um, which can happen. Yeah. That would definitely happen, I think. But you need to know that there were both the two of them. Exactly. Beforehand and that there will never be a third one unless you once again travel back to that time period and then now you're stuck in the third loop. Exactly. And, and I think... The movie does make an excuse for my my number three problem by saying that when he shows up again in 1985, it's like a much more advanced DeLorean. Meaning that, let's just say that he built the first DeLorean in 1985, and he built it having no prior knowledge of any sort of DeLorean or ever seeing a DeLorean ever, right? Then, then when Marty goes back in the DeLorean, sees past Doc with the DeLorean, past Doc goes, a DeLorean is a great option. I'm going to start building to this. Theoretically, he would build to it faster than he built in the original timeline. Right. 
Which then, at the end of the movie, shows that that's possible because he builds a more sophisticated DeLorean. True, so but that's after that he's way. been to the future. I know. You could argue that's part of it, too. So it just depends on how you want to uh, take that it. That is part of it. I mean, he's been to the future and made upgrades. Yeah, so you're saying that that's not an excuse. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think Mr. Fusion exists in 1985. I think he got that from the future. From the future. Yeah. Which is which is highly possible. Um, my second one is... There's another thing we don't have now. We don't have Mr. Fusion. That's true. That'd be sweet, though. That would be... Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> There is there is a guy I saw a Vice news story about this dude that's like in the middle of Kentucky somewhere and dude is building a fusion reactor like in his garage. It's like that sounds dangerous. <laughs> yeah, sounds terrifying. But would not want to be his neighbor. <laughs> exactly. Um, the second one is that, and I don't think that this one is not as bad to me because it's not as big of a continuity issue. But Marty takes his father's advice to offer it back to his father in the past and it's not a problem because ultimately like Marty could offer that advice that's not a big deal but um, but it actually is like George giving himself advice in the past in a way right yeah. so there's that whole kind of deal of like well, well but like look at uh, if you want to point out another film that's definitely should not be on the story geeks uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hitch oh yeah 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 you know like we are, as humans, I think we are more likely to give advice than to follow our own advice. Yeah. And so it takes Marty giving him his own advice. That's true. To be like, okay, yeah, you're right. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, I would tell you that, but I should follow it. That's true. That's true. And that's, that's why that one is like a minor complaint for me. The most egregious one is not relevant to the storyline at all. But it is relevant to our culture to a certain extent. And that is that when Marty goes to play Johnny B. Good on stage, and then and then Chuck Perry's cousin says, Hey Chuck, it's I can't remember the guy's name. It's Chuck, Marvin. it's whoever. Marvin, yeah. Your cousin, Marvin Your cousin, Barry. Marvin Barry. And then he holds up the phone, like, you gotta listen to this. Well, Chuck if Chuck Berry had to listen to Marty to come up with Johnny B. Good, and Marty only knows Johnny B. Good because of Chuck Berry. That's all circular. Yeah. Right? So the, now the excuse that the filmmaker could have is that uh, – the excuse the filmmaker could have is that, well, that just prompted them to think of it faster and they came out with the, whatever they were going to do faster. The, pr- the reason why this is a story problem for me, though, is not necessarily because of the continuity issue as much as it is – like my, my wife and I are watching the film and she turns to me and she goes, so a white kid from the 80s inspired – an African-American musician that revolutionized music. It's a different time, man. (laughs) It's like, that doesn't seem cool at all. Um, But anyways, so I digress. I'm the only one that's complaining about it, so. I mean, I think that's why this movie works so well, is I just, I don't think they cared. I mean, the whole cyclical nature of it and stuff like that. Yeah. I just don't think they bother with it, which is part of why it works so well. Exactly. Like, things it, were one way. Marty went back and changed some things, and now they're different. Yeah. And that's it. This is literally the nerd geek writer in me. Yeah. Yeah. As someone who creates time travel, being like, okay, this is where I've had problems with time travel. Let me complain about it in someone else's work. Yeah. <laughs> but lots of movies do try to tackle that. They try to tackle the cyclical nature they of do. it and stuff like that. I think it's way too confusing. Yeah. And this one doesn't even bother. And I think that's part of why it works. So. And I think that's why it makes it such a good sci-fi film is that it, it's sci-fi elements. There's just enough sci-fi to keep sci-fi people interested, 
but it's so much more approachable yeah. Yeah. for a mainstream audience than than something that's gonna go way too far into depth. Totally, totally, and and I think it ha this I think this is personally the best way to approach science fiction, meaning that make it light or sorry, not science fiction, time travel, yeah. make it lighthearted, make it not too serious, because when it becomes overly serious and if it does suspend your disbelief. I don't care if it suspends my disbelief for a second in this film because I'm like, right. oh, big deal. Like it's just fun. Yeah. I don't care. But in a serious film, if it suspends your disbelief, it might ruin the rest of the film for you. Right. So, it's more fiction than science. Exactly. Yeah. Because they don't need to explain. They don't exactly. need to explain 88 miles an hour. They don't need to explain what is the flux capacitor. Yeah. yeah. We just all we just all buy it. We you know, and so it's fine. Is it 1.21 gigawatts? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 1.21 gigawatts. Yeah. Um. And the whole time travel thing, the movies that do try to get into it deeper. Yeah. It's like making a movie that tries to absolutely define everything about God or something like that. Like, right. it's just something we don't understand and right. never will understand. And we've never done it before. Yeah. And Not so. Not what we know of. Yeah. And so the more we dig into it, the grayer and more confusing it gets. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um,. One of the things that Doc is super excited about um, when he creates the time machine is the possibility of viewing history in person. Um, now, before we choose, I would like for us to choose our top three moments that we would want to visit in history. But before we do that, let's just throw moments out on the table. So what are the, some of the moments that you were considering as you thought of your top three? Um, seeing A New Hope in the theater. Okay. <laughs> That's a true geek. That is a true geek moment right there. One of my actual answers is even geekier than that. Really? Ooh. So to 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 Josh's area, I would have loved to visit Disneyland in the 1960s. Yeah, I I put uh, I put Disneyland like early years for yeah. sure on that. I think like that's super super interesting to me. Super interesting. Uh, I would have loved to have been as a mu like I'm a huge music geek as well there are so many different concerts I would have loved to have yeah, gone to I went through that too. you know and it was just like oh, there's just so many different people I would have loved to to have heard um I actually want to go back and relive some things that that happened in my life too so mm. um yeah I, I actually didn't here's the interesting part I didn't go that far back in time oh interesting yeah like I think the earliest in my, my top three, I think I go to like the 1940s. Okay. Anything before that, I don't. Okay, so let's just give your top three, and then I'll throw out a couple others that I thought of as well. All right. So who, you want to go first, Daryl? What are your top three? Sure. So I mean, the only mine for the most part is very personal, and that's most of the stuff that I thought about. Okay. And I I, I agree with you. I even thought about going back and reliving some of stuff that I of my own life. Hmm. Like um, you talk about music, for instance, one of my favorite songwriters was a guy named Rich Mullins who died in 1997 in a car crash. And I would literally go back and go to another concert of his, oh, no even the same one that I went to. Interesting. Um, but the ones that I chose, um, I would like to see a real old West town. Oh yeah. yeah. Like tombstone back in the day. Yeah, maybe something that's not quite as dangerous as Tombstone, but <laughs> honestly, that's part of the reason that I didn't choose a lot of major historical moments. Because the danger? Yeah, danger. Like, I thought about, like, the falling of the Berlin Wall or, 
you know, all these other major points in TV. history. You saw that on TV, On right? TV, yeah. yeah. But, and I'm like, it'd be cool to see that stuff in person, but I might get killed. Like, there's just, <laughs> you know, it's really dangerous. So, but a nice, safe, old west town I'd like to see. But that's everything your, that's else. Your number, that's your number three? Yeah, I guess that's number three. Okay. Everything else I chose is really personal. Um, and then this one's really personal, but. So my dad uh-huh. grew up in Huntington Beach. Yeah. And he's told me stories. He grew up on a farm in Huntington Beach. Which is what in Which the makes world? no yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you if you know Huntington Beach now, where's where are they going to put a farm? But it was there. Crazy. And so he used to tell me about being out on the farm and stuff like that and when we're in Huntington Beach together, there's been a few different times where he'll drive me around town and show me things and I know where his farm was. There's just a bunch of houses there now and stuff like that. But I would love to go back and see Huntington Beach when my dad was a kid and kind yeah. of see that whole world and what it was like. My dad's told me about that too. He, he says that because now you go to Huntington Beach and it's giant parking lots. Yeah. Everything, there's like sand, <laughs> yeah. parking lots, and then like hotels. And, and like cramped, restaurants. very thin houses. Yeah, and, it's ridiculous. Yeah. My dad lives in Huntington Beach now. Um and my dad used to tell me that he, what you used to do is on PCH, you just used to pull up to PCH, kind of like it is in like maybe Ventura. Yeah. Pull off to the side of the road and then you can go to the beach. Like you just walk to the beach. There's yeah. no parking. There's no like hotels. Like I'm like, how is that? Like, how does that work? It's I just know. kind of mind blowing. And I've, we, I've, um, I have other family that lives in Huntington Beach and my dad's uncle, um, Uncle Bill, mm-hmm. he's, it's not quite that simple. It's, around about uncle but okay. he's related to us and um we would do like christmases at their houses a lot and stuff like that he is a huge fixture of huntington beach really like he was the grand marshal in the parade wow the fourth of july parade yeah. last year and i think maybe it was a different parade and i actually went and bought like a history book on huntington beach uh-huh. as a gift for my dad yeah and I'm thumbing through it, and sure enough, on one of the pages, there's a picture of Uncle Bill. No way. Yeah. That's cool. So he's like, he's in his early 90s now, and so he's been around a long time, and he's just a big part of the history of the city. That's cool. But anyway, my number one answer, this is super geeky, Yeah. but I would love to go back to the late 30s uh-huh. and buy a copy of Action Comics number one or Detective Comics number 27 off of the rack. Yeah. Not for financial reasons, not to come back to the present yeah. and have millions of dollars, but just to experience that. Yeah, it's pretty geeky. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife actually, she, she showed me that. Because I was like, what should, how should I answer this question? I'm like yeah. falling asleep last night trying to come up with answers. Like, how should I answer this question? And she's like, <laughs> so she's just going through all these moments of history that she's Googling, basically. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, here's one of them. And she's, that was one of them, like, to be around for the action comics, the... Yeah. the the first imagining of Superman, basically. Yeah, and just to like walk into a newsstand or whatever and mm-hmm. see what else is on the shelf at that time and just yeah. see what the world looked like when the dawn of Superman and the dawn of Batman was just on a newsstand anywhere and you can just go buy it for yeah. 10 cents or 15 cents or whatever. Yeah. All right, Josh, what do you got? So I tried to go with the idea of time, not space. What That follows the film. Uh, so my three that I could come up with uh i'm not originally from here yeah uh i'm from colorado so again like i was like oh i'd love to you know be with my family and stuff but i can only travel through time so uh 
for me, it was right after World War II when we declared victory. I wanted to be there like when parades went through the streets and stuff because mm-hmm. I wanted to feel – I just don't feel like anyone knows what American pride is anymore. And I really kind of wanted to know what it is to be like really proud of your country. Nice. Uh, number two was uh, Disneyland when it first opened. And uh, number three, uh, I'm a huge fan of Joe Strummer and mm. uh, The Clash. But in, in his later years, um, I got to listen to the Mascaleros and I never got to see them in concerts. And so for me, it was kind of a selfish like I really want to go see Joe Strummer in concert before he died. That's super cool. Yeah, I liked it. So I did not leave it to just time. I'm all over the place. <laughs> um, so I'll give you some of my honorable mentions before I get to my top three. Uh, so not only Disneyland in the 1960s, which I think would be just. And by the way, the reason I picked the 1960s is just because I know that when Disneyland first opened, it wasn't. They had a lot of problems on opening day. Yeah, yeah. They had some of that kind of stuff going on. So I was like. Not opening day, because that seems like a, just a madhouse. But sometime after that, you know. Um, I would love, 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 love. I'm a big uh, fan of detective fiction from the 1930s. I would love to see Los Angeles at that time. Like, there's a, there's a book. Um, one of I believe it's one of the Dashiell Hammett um, series. The Raymond... What was it? it? Might have been Raymond Chandler. I don't know. One of the two. And... Um, the, the the main character drives from Los An- downtown Los Angeles to Pasadena and describes it. And he's driving and leaves the city to drive through countryside until he gets to Pasadena. Right. And it's like, what would that be like? like I have no concept of that at all. Um, if you're in if you in California at all and you drive from Los Angeles to Pasadena, it is constantly, constantly just, just, just houses city. and everything. Yeah. yeah. It never stops. Yeah. And even just the concept of being able to enjoy that drive. Yeah. Okay, so continuing my list, uh, I've got traveling through Asia Minor, so the Mediterranean area, um, prior to the fall of the Roman Empire. See, I'm all all over (laughs) the place. That is way weird. (laughs) Well, I've been, so I've been to, I've been to Kushidashi, which is where Ephesus is. Okay. Ephesus was a major trade center during the Roman Empire. Yeah. Um, and just being able to see the ruins there is unlike some ruins where you see the ruins and you're like, yeah, well, I don't know what this was, but it was probably lame. Like it, it looks, you go there and you get a feel for the fact that I, I don't know. I've always kind of assumed that because we see things in their aged state that it's like, well, that probably wasn't that sophisticated and it probably didn't look that cool. Right. But in, in, in that context, you can kind of see what it was like. There's this whole pathway because um, they actually would have they had a pathway from the port all the way through the city, and they had like basically tiles that were arranged in mosaics along the side, and you can still see them. They're right there, and you can just imagine that being brand new, not like two thousand years later. <laughs> and it's like this is amazing. Like, can you imagine walking? Like, this would be like this would be like being, I don't know what you'd say, like like pick a really nice city like the beverly hills of of that time period right so yeah i know super weird but like since i've been there i'm like i would love to have seen this you know um that's probably the weirdest one i have on here uh visiting hawaii in the 1950s and 60s so Mm -hmm. this is kind of like after world war ii but like when the 
you know, we 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 do it. We I like it because there's like a tiki culture kind of vibe going on, and I know that that's like probably rejected by the local Hawaiian people as like a thanks for bringing the white man into our. I, yeah, I, yeah, I get yeah. that, right? <laughs> but but you know, for us, it is like fun. It's like that whole expansion of the of the world through um, the proliferation of travel coming out in the 1950s and 60s and the expansion of as we even as we see Disneyland expanding like it's the modern world but the start of it you right know? And I think that would be super cool to be present at the Gettysburg address hmm. okay yeah would be amazing my wife came up with that one I'm like yeah that's that's legit <laughs> so here's my top three I apologize for going on for so long on this um, Top three, to be present to see the Apollo program missions and watch us land on the moon. So I know some... On TV? Are, are, you, are you on the moon or are you at mission control? I'd take either of those. <laughs> I, I mean, I'd even be... I'd, I think it'd even be really exciting to see us... I don't know if you took... Of all the accomplishments we've seen, and like I look at Tesla, and I'm like a pretty big fan of Tesla. I think they're creating like really cool products. But honestly, like... I don't see a Tesla announcement or a new Apple announcement and think like, wow, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like the next greatest thing. Like it's kind of like yeah. a step forward. Yeah. The future, like when you're looking at the 1960s and you're like, the future is now because yeah. like yes. that was such a huge leap. And now when you're like, oh, Apple has a new phone. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Exactly. I can be Dick Tracy now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but like, yeah, that's exa- exactly the point. Like, can you imagine being a kid and being like, we sent a rocket to the moon. Yeah. That's crazy. Like, who does that? Like, it's insane. Quick sidetrack, too. I was talking to a couple people about, like, uh, Christmas time, recording this around Christmas. So uh, we were talking about the 1960s. And actually, when we were orbiting in space at that point in time, uh, they did, I believe it was 66 or 68, they did a live broadcast from the space station where they read um, a Christmas story. No way. To everyone, like through TV, like that is crazy. <laughs> like yeah, that's exactly. the kind of stuff that yeah would be cool to be like. Yeah. All right, everybody, tune in because you're gonna hear a story from so space cool. tonight. Yeah, exactly. You're gonna hear a story from space. I like that. Uh, my number two is to be president. Uh, to be president. To be president. <laughs> um, no, to be present at Martin Luther Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream speech. Okay. I think that would be pretty amazing. I mean, that's talk about a quintessential moment in history. Like that would be phenomenal. Um, and then my final one, and this one's not really fair because if you listen to the podcast, I always talk about this kind of stuff. But Doc mentions being present at the birth of Jesus, and I think that for me personally, the birth of Jesus would not be as interesting as meeting the adult Jesus. So that's what my number one is. Yeah. And I feel bad saying that because I kind of almost feel like I have to say that. But it, it would be super exciting to me to to be able to experience that thing. Um, to be able to experience that piece of it. But it's also kind of a cop-out, which is why I have so many honorable mentions. <laughs> so that is what it is. Well, here, I'll undermine it by throwing one more geeky one out that I just thought of. Okay, yeah, yeah. I would love to have been present to hear the original radio broadcast of War of the Worlds. Oh, That's a good yes. one. Yes. That and is fantastic. Just experience that fear. Is this real? You yeah. Know? yeah. What's going on? I kind of wish. There's a part of me that wishes and doesn't wish that that could that kind of catfish scenario could have been pulled off in the present day yeah like on through social media (laughs) there's network 1901 story geeks collaboration (laughs) 
That is it for today's podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, write us a review or share this episode with one of your geek friends. All right, fellow geeks, as always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.